Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for not just the ability to pray, but the knowledge that you dwell with us through the Spirit. And that there'll come a day when we'll see you face to face. So Lord, will you, will you inspire us this morning? Take us on a journey, Lord, into the future. Amen. Amen. Well, before I get into my notes, I ought to do what Jackie's asked me to do, because I always do what Jackie asked me to do. And uh, that is to recap on heaven, because she says, I think I'm still confused, and I think some other people might be confused. So in this series on heaven, when we're on week something like four or something, there are still people confused about heaven, which is, of course, our fault as preachers because we haven't explained it clearly enough. So, here we go. Once again, on heaven. All right, ears pinned back. You ready? The problem with the word heaven is that it's an English word. It's an English word that covers several different concepts. It's come to be used in different ways which is very confusing. So, I want to tell you about, first of all, the three heavens. There's heaven, as in stars in the sky, okay? So, you might want to think of that as cosmos, or something like that, rather than heaven, okay? That'll help you clear your mind because it's casually called heaven, and it's not very helpful. So it's the stars in the sky, okay? Then there's the second heaven, biblically, which is the, the place where principalities and powers and authorities, spiritual authorities exist. Okay, I don't know what you want to call that. Heaven. And then there is the third heaven. This is the place where God has his existence in all his purity and holiness. We could call that paradise, like Jesus called it paradise. Okay? So now you've only got one heaven, haven't you? This is the place where principalities and powers are. The place where God is is paradise, and the place where we are on earth is earth and sky. Sky. Cosmos. Okay, have I confused you some more now? Or is that clearer? Okay, so they're the biblical heavens, if you like. The heavens, the sky. The heavenlies, where the spirits are. And heaven, where God dwells. Paradise. Okay. Right, moving on. Today, we're going to see what happens at the end. Spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what happens at the end, leave now. Or stuff fingers in your ears for the next while. 
Yeah, there's someone who doesn't want to know. <laughs> oh, dear. The children's work can be full of adults this morning saying, don't tell me, don't tell me. Right. The end. Not my preach. <laughs> That's the subject. You see, at the moment, we live in a transitional time. We live in a time between two big events. Well, when I say big events, I mean the biggest events. Are we excited about the biggest events? Yeah? Some of us are excited. The biggest events in all of history. Right? Number one. The cross on which Jesus died. The Easter events. That's not, that's the, that's earth changing, earth shattering victory on the cross. That's number one. And then his resurrection and ascension into heaven. All that package, if you like, that's number one. Jesus died for us, rose again, the first fruits from the dead, the first one to rise from the dead and be given an immortal body. I thought I'd point that out because Lazarus wasn't given an immortal body. Lazarus died again, presumably somewhere in the Middle East a few years later. Okay? So, second event, extraordinary event, has yet to happen. Because we're in this transitional period between the two events, this is where we live. We live with the knowledge of the victory of Jesus Christ and the knowledge that he is coming again that he will appear. Do you remember in Acts, when we read Acts, and uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, and there's the funny bit, yeah? Do you remember the funny bit? When the disciples are going, and the angels come, and they stand, they say, what are you looking into heaven for? He'll come again, in the same way as he's gone, he will come again, he will come again, he will come again. It is a biblical certainty he will come again. And when we live in this world and in this life like this, and we have, you know, birthdays like we have, it can seem sort of vague and wispy and sort of out there, can't it? Jesus is coming again. Yeah, yeah, I know, Jesus is coming again. But think what it means. Jesus is coming again. And so this morning, I want you to get excited and inspired that Jesus is coming again. The time can also be thought of in this way. The first event was Satan's defeat on the cross. The second event will be Satan's destruction. Have you ever thought of it like that? Two great events in the history of the world. Satan's defeat on the cross, where his power was usurped by the power of Jesus Christ. 
and his destruction will come when Jesus comes again. This is what it says in 2 Thessalonians, um, sorry, Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. So, test. Where are the rulers and authorities? Second heaven. Only Nick got that right. Okay, so... We're living in this transition time between Satan's defeated authority and his destruction. This is what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 to 8. And you know what is restraining Satan now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, we know that, don't we? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We've had lawlessness through the centuries. You know, whatever century you live in, you can look at the lawlessness of the human condition. How there is this incessant bent towards lawless self-destruction, lawless destruction of others, wars, rumours of wars, throughout history, it never stops. Whichever century you're in, you would have had wars and rumours of wars. You would have had people who were lawless people, who seemed to have no morality, who lost their sense of, of being grounded in anything. It doesn't matter which century you're in. Because these days we have more and more sophisticated ways of killing each other, we tend to think it's worse now. A couple of years ago, I read a book called Jerusalem by the historian uh, Simon Sebag Montefiore. It's a lovely name, isn't it? It's a bit like Nizhny Novgorod. It just sort of trips off the tongue. Simon Sebag Montefiore. But if you read this history, he's written a history of Jerusalem from the earliest times right through to now. And what strikes you is that whatever century you're talking about, people were fighting each other and killing each other in huge numbers. And now we have, in this century... the problem in the Middle East of Iraq and Syria. And what's happened in Syria? I mean, you just, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? The devastation of that country. The murderousness. The lack of any, any sense of morality in what's going on there. It's just frightening. And you know what is restraining him now. Oh, he's being restrained, is he? Yes, he is. It could be worse. So that he may be revealed 
in his time. There'll be a, there'll be a day when Satan will be revealed and, destruct, and destructed and destroyed. He will be revealed and destroyed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So we live in a period of time when Satan is being constrained by a higher authority. There is one greater than he, Jesus said, talking of himself. There is a higher authority. There's one who reigns in the place where God is. There's one who reigns in that heaven. And he reigns over the other heavens. And he reigns over this middle heaven, this rulers and authorities. He reigns. We sing about it all the time, don't we? He reigns, he reigns, we say it. It's a present continuous. He reigns now. He reigns in, in, in the world now. And how does he reign? He constrains evil, otherwise it would overwhelm us. Because he's already the victor of the cross. We live in a time when Jesus reigns on the events of earth. Nothing happens without his permission. And of course there's this terrible mystery that we struggle with all the time of pain and disaster and problems and issues of the declining creation. And so there is this, there is this urge in our heart, if you like. We want to reach out for heaven and heaven's rule. We want to reach out for the day when he doesn't just constrain the enemy, but he destroys him, finally, once for all. I want you to understand this, that Jesus reigns today. When people say there will come a time when Jesus comes and reigns on earth and we will see him reigning on earth, no, you won't. There will come a day when we see him face to face, but he reigns on earth now. And this millennium, this in-between time, when, when Jesus constrains and restrains the enemy and rules over every situation in your life, he's ruling now in your life. That is the rule of Jesus. And it starts at the cross. And it'll finish when he comes again. That's the millennium. And we just, we just need to grasp hold of this, that he rules and reigns now. You say it, you pray it, you live it. Don't you? You say it, you pray it, you live it. He reigns in your life. He rules in your life. There are other people who think he doesn't reign in their life, but actually he does in the sense that he's constraining evil in their life. Otherwise it will be rampant and destructing. That's the reign of Jesus today. 
If it was a Pentecostal church, I would now say, do I hear a hallelujah? Okay, so that was the first point. Jesus is reigning today. Second point, Jesus is reigning until, until. Do you know there's three things? He's a good British preacher, is Jesus. There's three things that have to happen. He's reigning until these three things happen. Okay? The first thing is this. He's reigning until every enemy is made his footstool. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Satan wants you not to worship God. And he'd rather you were destroyed. But Jesus has won the victory. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. When mortality is replaced by immortality. So this is the first thing. When every enemy has been made his footstool. It's a strange concept, isn't it? It's in the Old Testament as well, in the Psalms. You probably know the Psalms that talk about it. It's a strange concept for us in a sense because we think, well, he won the victory on the cross. He, he took captives in his train. He demonstrated to the principalities and powers his victory on the cross. He went into heaven victorious with the people he was victorious over in his victory march, in his victory train. That's what the Bible teaches. And so you could think of it like this, that everything was put under his feet at that point, except death. And there'll come a day when even death is put under his feet. He must rule until. There's a time when God the Father knows, and Jesus said only God the Father knows, there is a time when he will come again and death will <coughs> be defeated on that day. Secondly, every nation will have heard. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So here's the second condition. First condition, every enemy under his feet. Second condition, every nation will have heard the gospel. But of course, in the days that this was written, their number of nations was pretty small. Their view of the world was pretty small. They probably had no idea, no idea at all, really, of how much that means. 
Therefore, how much it means to God, who knew the world as it really is, even then. And when Jesus said this, I wonder how much he knew in his spirit of what that really means. Of the millions God wanted to save. I wonder if Jesus thought even then of you. Do you think he did? The gospel's got to go to every nation. Even those pesky English. The gospel's got to go to every nation. You know, in Spain, over the last weekend, it was interesting in the church because there's all these expats. The area is swarming with English people. I mean, it just swarms with English people. Older English people. The age range in the church was something that really uh, shook Rose. You know, she's, she's used to an age range, but actually what you got was this little age range. Sort of 65 to death, really. <laughs> no kids, no babies. <laughs> it was great holding little Zaki this morning, you know, just thinking, what a difference to last week. <laughs> oh, dear. But you know that people go there for a reason. And the reason they go there is to seek out satisfaction. In sun, sea, and sangria. And that's, they all say that. They all say that's why they're there. They talk about the weather incessantly, about the weather back in England, and laugh. They're sun seekers. They're, they're seeking satisfaction in the final years of their lives. They'll only get satisfaction in Jesus. That's the only way. They won't get satisfaction from sun, sea, and sangria. Decent glass of wine would go down well. <laughs> but in this church... All sorts of nations, actually. It wasn't just English. It's a lovely girl, uh, girl, woman, from Paris. French girl from Paris. There's this couple from Colombia. It was Colombia, wasn't it? Yeah. Couple from Colombia as well. There were people from other nations. Do you think... Jesus knew about Colombia in his spirit when he said this to every nation. I tell you what, everyone sitting around listening to him would have had not a clue that there was a South America. Not a clue. And yet God <coughs> holds back the return of Jesus until everyone he wants saved in the whole world is reached. 
That's the second one. The third one is this. Well, it's the same point, really. Everyone who is called is saved. Every nation hears, that's the second one. And thirdly, everyone who's called is saved. Romans 11 says this. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers and sisters. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's, there's a fullness of the nations that must be reached. The Lord knows who are his. He will bring them into his kingdom and then Jesus will present the kingdom to the Father and the end will come. Well, okay, they're the three things. So now you know the three things. Every enemy is footstool, every nation has heard, and everyone who is called is saved. So will it be a surprise then when Jesus comes? Will it be a surprise? Will it take us by surprise? You know, in, um, in America, there's lots of fun and games there. They get so, uh, some of their people get so mixed up and they have these literal interpretations of prophetic pictures that really lead them into all sorts of muddles. Please do not follow literal interpretations of picture language of prophecy in the Bible. It will get you in a terrible muddle. So will it surprise us then? Well, some Americans who are carefully buying soft-top cars in the 1950s because there was a strong teaching then that it'll surprise you. It'll be like a thief in the... You never know when it's coming. Suddenly, boom! You will go! So best have a soft-top so you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> I mean, people actually thought like that. Can you believe it? Goodness, how can you get into that sort of muddle where you believe that sort of stuff? So, I've got a soft top, yeah. In more ways than one, just in case. Yeah, yeah, in more ways than one, thank you. Uh, when Jackie was pregnant. I knew she was pregnant. There were certain giveaway signs. One, she said she was pregnant. <laughs> Two, she grew large <laughs> with pregnancy. And therefore, when it came, this baby, it was not a surprise because we knew it was coming. <laughs> but it was a surprise when it came. It's amazing stuff, pregnancy, isn't it? You know there's a length of time. And you know it will come to an end, but you don't know when. If Rachel was here, we could ask her how many surprises she's had so far in, at work. Surprise arrivals. 
but all the women will have been pregnant. And we know the signs. There used to be this song, because Jesus told a parable, didn't he, about the maidens with their lamps. And some got casual and let their oil run out. So they weren't ready when the bridegroom came to light their lamps. Because they're, they, oh, oh, it's taken us by surprise and our oil's run out. And Jesus said, stay ready. Stay ready every day because you don't know when. Now you want me to sing the song, don't you? And you can join in. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Boom, 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 boom. Sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna. Sing Hosanna to the King of Kings. Sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna to the King. <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Be ready. He's coming again. And what will happen when he comes again? Well, we're going to read the scripture now. That was on your card. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now remember, where, where did we say they'd gone? Those who've died in Christ, where did they go? We said this a couple of weeks ago. They went to paradise. Where's paradise? Where God is. And we, we said, so they're with God now. They, they are with the Lord, wherever the Lord is. It's much easier to think of heaven as the place where the Lord is than to give it some physical connotation. Because the physical stuff changes. Because the Lord buzzes about. So the Lord has us with him through the Holy Spirit now while we're alive and with him in paradise when we die. And we speculated because the Bible doesn't tell us that maybe we'll have temporary bodies so we can recognise one another, or maybe our spirits will recognise one another. Bzzz, bzzz. Who knows? Nobody knows. But what we do know is this, that we'll be with him 
So, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. Okay, first big fact. We who are alive at the coming of the Lord, and we don't know who that's going to be, might be soon, mightn't it? Might be. Depends how you define nations reaching the world. But it, it might be. So first big fact, we who are left alive, Paul says, won't precede. What does that mean? Other people will be first. Okay? Other people will be first. So, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They'll rise first. Now, what is that going to sound and look like? Whoa! What is, it, what is this going to be like? See, he's a good preacher, English preacher again. He's got three things. There's a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. Can you imagine the sound of the trumpet of God? I don't think I can imagine it. There's going to be a fanfare like none other you've ever heard. A fanfare that puts all other fanfares in the shade. A fanfare of enormous power and loudness. Somehow it's going to be heard all round the world. Everywhere. Because he's not coming. Jesus is not coming in stages. It's not like New Year's Eve. You know, let's go to Australia. Because they're ahead of us. No, no, no. Jesus will come. Boom! There'll come a day when this noise... I don't call it, I'm sure it would be the most tuneful fanfare, the trumpet of God, the sound of the trumpet of God. It's going to be fantastic. You'll be applauding the sound of the trumpet of God. You'll be saying, that's the most fantastic sound I've ever heard in my whole life. And what about this? The voice of the archangel. I wonder what, wonder what he sounds like. The voice of the archangel. The archangel visited Mary and said, Blessed woman, you're going to be pregnant. The voice of the archangel. Wonder what that's like. And what is he going to say? Bible doesn't tell us what he's going to say. Told us what he said before, but he's not going to tell us what he said in the future. 
What will he say? Might he say, get ready, everybody. I should think we're already ready by then, wouldn't you? Get ready, everybody, for the king of kings. Do you think he's going to say that? Or in biblical language, English, of course, in biblical language, he might say, Behold! Because people who play angels always do it like that, don't they? Behold! Stage left. <laughs> Behold! Jesus is coming. What do you think? A cry of command. That's an interesting one, isn't it? The Lord will descend from heaven with the cry of command. What do you think that is? He's not going to be commanding Jesus to go, is he? A cry of command. Go, Jesus! No, no, it'll be a cry of command to us. Listen, look, here he comes. He's coming on the clouds. The clouds of God's glory. The clouds of God's presence. In like manner that you saw him go as the cloud of God's glory enveloped him and took him into the presence of of the Lord himself. So he will come again with the presence of God surrounding him. He's coming in the clouds. And there'll be a trumpet sound and there'll be a cry of command and there'll be the voice of the archangel and we will see him. And the dead in Christ will rise. What does that mean? Well, they'll, they'll rise to their new immortal bodies. They'll be clothed, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, they'll be clothed in immortality. By the way, Lizzie, add, read 1 Corinthians 15 to the Monday briefing, okay? Forgot that one. It's so good for us to go through 1 Corinthians 15, because I'm doing... I'm doing 1 Thessalonians 4 at the moment. We need to, to, to have those two major passages. For the Lord himself and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will have this cry of command, this great shout and this opening up of heaven and God's glory coming and Jesus there. And somehow the whole world will see this at once. I have no idea how that's going to happen. But as, as Romans 8 says, Romans 8 says, the whole of creation is waiting for this day, for this day, this revealing of the sons of God. 
this day. When the whole population of history will see who is in the kingdom. And they will see all the dead in Christ. Just imagine, you know, who do you want to talk to? Some of the great hymn writers, you know, standing there, floating around in the clouds. It's the only time we get to float around with a harp, I think. You, you know, great hymn Maybe they're writing hymns about it, even as it happens, you know. Charles Wesley. Hi, Charles. Writing a good one now? Yeah. The best one ever. You know, it, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? Do you, who do you want to see? Luther? Calvin? Some strange people will even want to see Zwingli. And have a chat with him about infant baptism. It'll be fascinating, won't it, to see who is in this glorious cloud of witnesses to the King of Kings who've died through the centuries and have lived with God in glory and are now revealed to the whole world. And if it is true that there are more Christians living today than have been in existence through history back to the cross, let alone before. Won't go there today. And supposing that's true, won't it be amazing that we'll see these people and then we'll look around and we'll think, wow, and there's even more here with me today. And before you've had that thought a second time, woof, up you go. What a rapturous thing that will be. What a rapturous thing that will be. That's a clever one, that one. We will join them. And we too will be changed. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, your body, my body, will switch from mortality to immortality. The resurrected ones, they have their new bodies already and we join them in the air. I'm glad we join them in the air because God is about to Ah, that's next week. Ah, that's next week. So I'm glad we joined them in the air. We are with the Lord. So we are in heaven, are we not? Because we're with the Lord. We will join them in the air. It's not a great staged process. You know, I read, I read once about this church where they had round the wall of the church a long, long, long piece of paper, wallpaper, lining paper, something all the way around. And on it was written all the different stages of what was going to happen. Oh boy, it's simple. It's very simple. 
There'll be a shout. There'll be the trumpet sound and we will be changed in a moment. That's it. That's all you need to know. It won't surprise you except in the timing because you've been expecting it. You've got oil in your lamp. So it won't surprise you. But it'll jolly well surprise a lot of people, won't it? Don't you think? There's going to be a lot of shocked people. I don't know what Richard Dawkins is going to say. I, I haven't got you know, any idea how people who are not saved are going to cope with this day. Well, they won't cope with it, basically. Because there'll come a day when the truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's going to be an amazing day of glory, of transformation for us. The trumpet sounds. The transformation comes. The dead have their new bodies, their new immortal bodies. And we can only speculate about age and things like that, can't we? What age do you want to be? Maybe that's the answer. What age would you like to be? What do you think is the most comfortable age for you? 75? 25? Somewhere in between? Don't say 15, please. So, there won't be any teenagers in heaven. So... <laughs> no, I'm joking. Transformation and triumph. We will be caught up into the presence of God. What a day. What a scene. What an amazing... I don't know what we're... I, I shall be lost for words. There'll be these people surrounding me who, yeah, I'll have all eternity to talk to and discover about their lives on earth. There'll be all these people you want to see. There'll be all your loved ones that have died in Christ. There'll be, maybe, even... Oh, that's next week. And what a day, what a shout of triumph when death is defeated. No more pain. No more suffering. No more barrel bombs. No more holocaust. For evil will not be allowed in this place. And Jesus, we will see face to face. And one thing I know when I see Jesus face to face is he won't look like an Englishman. And you know, I can tell a Russian now from quite a long distance away and Jesus won't look Russian either. He'll look like an Israeli. That's what it'll look like. 
and nobody will mind in the slightest. Because every nation will be there. Every nation will be with him. And we will meet him in the air. Lord, we so thank you for this glorious hope that we have. That this day will certainly happen. Thank you, Lord. Amen.